Amen. All right, let's open with a word of prayer and dig into the word. Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, as we go to your word right now, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, I thank you for everyone who's here this morning. No one by chance, all by divine appointment. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. For those of us who do know you, may we be strengthened, exhorted, encouraged, even rebuked if necessary, Lord. Draw us unto yourself. I pray that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Amen. So quick background, John the Apostle writes this letter at the end of his life. More than likely, all the other apostles are already gone by now. Uh, if not, they're about to be. And what has happened is, even though the church is only about 40 or so years old, there's already false teachers coming in, teaching, adding to the gospel, or taking away from it. Some of them said, oh, we have a special word, and you got to get this word from us. And you can imagine John, who walked with Jesus for three years, who was there at the cross when he was crucified, who Jesus uh, commanded to take care of his earthly mother Mary after he went into heaven. And he hears this, and he's writing this letter to address early Christians to wipe away all the lies, all the confusion, and to get the focus back where it needs to be on Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen from the dead. Amen? And so as we come to chapter 3, and, and, and I, I'm going to apologize, but not really, because every week I plan on teaching 10 verses. And, and then I get to 45 pages of notes after three verses, and I know that's, that's where we're going. So the great thing about verse by verse is we'll pick up where we left off next Sunday. If you have your outline, grab it. Again, I titled the message, What It Means to Be a Child of God. Guys, this is really all that matters. What have you done with God's Son? When you stand before the Lord on Judgment Day, it'll be too late then. So what have you done with the Lord? What does it mean to be a child of God? And we're going to see how, as people that have been born again, how it impacts our life. First, you will experience God's incredible love being poured out on you and the world standing in opposition against you. When you stand for the Lord, don't be surprised when the world wants nothing to do with you. The truth is you're either for God or you're against him. You're either a friend of God or you're an enemy of God. There's no in-between with God. You either know him or you don't. And my prayer is if you're here this morning, you don't know that you know that you know that you know the Lord, that you don't leave here without him, amen? He loves you so much you'd rather die than live without you. When you stand for the Lord, the world will stand against you. And again, I'm sure they've said it throughout generations, but certainly in my lifetime, that's more true today than it's ever been. That if you're for the Lord, the world is against you. And again, they stand in such contrast to the word of God. You know what's amazing about our God? He knows every wicked, vile thing you've ever done, thought, said, and anything you're going to do in the future. He knows you best and he loves you most. That's our God. Amen? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die on the cross because you're good. He died on the cross because he's good. And he, and he loves you so much he'd rather die than live without you. He knew most of us would reject his love and he sent his son to die in our place anyway. I wasn't going to mention this, but I'm going to have to because I'm going to get emotional. You'll wonder why. So tomorrow's my son Mark's birthday and it's going to be his first birthday in heaven. And I was going through my closet and this is his favorite shirt, so that's why I'm wearing it. But heaven is better, amen? And as believers, we close our eyes on earth, we open them up in glory, and my son didn't die, he just moved to a much better neighborhood, amen? And as believers... We can trust in the fact that because God sent his son to die, 
I will get to see my son again. And because he is a faithful God, a gracious God, a loving God, and a merciful God, we're gonna see three attributes of God's love in this first verse. This is why we're not gonna get very far this morning. Here's three attributes of his love. It's unconditional. Well, I gotta get better so God will love me. He already knows you best and he loves you most. You you don't say, well, I'm gonna jump in the showers so then I can take a bath. I mean, guys, we need to be cleansed and a cleansing comes from the Lord. It's not us getting better so he'll love us. It's us surrendering our lives to him so that he can cleanse us and make us new creations in Christ, amen? So number one, his love for us is unconditional. Secondly, it's sacrificial. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He endured the most painful, torturous death in all of human history. He knew separation from the Father. The Romans created the crucifixion as a, a way of torture, and they tortured our Savior, and he could have gotten down from the cross anytime he wanted to, but he endured it out of love for us. So he sacrificed his life. He suffered as if he lived your life, so you could be rewarded as if you lived his. That's our God, amen? So his love's not only unconditional and sacrificial, but it's unending, and I'm looking forward to that. By the way, I was just talking to my son yesterday about this. We we're talking about Mark being in heaven. I said, you know, he only had 28 years on earth. It would have been nice. We would have loved to have another 50 more. But we're going to spend billions and billions of, and that won't, that won't even be called years. So I'm just using this for our frame of reference. There's no time in heaven. Amen? So even if you live here 100 years, it's nothing compared to eternity. And, so, and guess what? And heaven is better. And no one, by the way, no one's in heaven wishing they were here nobody none of them went and thought oh I missed out on my next mini golf game or I had a softball game coming up or I, I'm about to get my college degree or I was going to buy a house all that stuff is wood hay and stubble and chaff compared to eternity God has prepared a place for us and heaven is so much better when we get there we are going to be blown away by how incredible heaven is and guys I can't wait how about you but here's the reality if you don't know the Lord you need to get to know him today have that passport to heaven stamped, amen? So number one, you will, be, you will experience God's incredible love if you're a child of God. Um, it'll be poured out on you and the world will stand in opposition to you. By the way, don't they love to, to act like Christians are stupid? And they dumb us down and, and I love engaging those people. Oh, you're a Christian, you really, you really believe that stuff? Yeah, I do, I absolutely believe it. I tell you, one of my favorites is that my coworker said, you really believe that a man was swallowed by a fish? I said, you're, you're an atheist. You believe in evolution. You believe that fish became a man. So you tell me which one of those is harder. <laughs> Amen? We don't check our faith at the door. We don't believe in spite of the evidence. The word of God is true. Hundreds of Old Testament prophecies all fulfilled by Jesus Christ. He is the way. He is the truth. There is no other truth apart from him. Amen? But notice the second thing that happens when you're a child of God, you become more and more like him. Now, we will never be him, and we will never be God. And there's two undeniable facts. There is a God, and you're not him, but we will become more like him. Again, we're justified, just as if we've never sinned on the day that we give our life to the Lord. But then we're being sanctified. The word sanctified means set apart. We're being conformed more into the image of our Savior until the day we are glorified. I know I talk about this a lot, but I think we need to remember it. So we've been justified. Our sins are forgiven. We're new creations in Christ. We're going to heaven. But there's a process that continues where we're being molded more and more to the image of our Savior. And then ultimately, one day, we will be glorified in heaven. As his adopted children filled with the Holy Spirit, we are becoming more and more like our heavenly Father, but we are still works in process. It says in Romans 8, 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son. So 
As a child of God, you'll experience God's love being poured out on you, the world standing against you. You're becoming more and more like the Lord. And then finally, your heavenly hope produces a pure walk. What is the priority and passion of your life? By the way, I saw online there was some lottery this last week, and it was like $1.3 billion. And somebody won $1.3 billion. It's a lot of money. You know what's better than $1.3 million? Jesus. Amen. Amen. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? It's all going to burn. It's wood, hay, and stubble. It won't matter in heaven. Amen? And we don't need to, and again, whoever won that, I'm sure, is not sleeping and hiring attorneys and figuring out ways to spend all their money and who they're going to give it to. Guess what? We have the promise of eternal life. And the results are in. One out of every one person dies. Amen? And when they die, all that stuff that we've accumulated in this life will pass away. But if you've given your life to the Lord, it will endure forever. Instead of trying to share money that we won in a lottery with other people, we should be sharing Jesus with people that need to know the Lord because guess what? That bank never runs dry, amen? And he desires that none should perish, no, not one. So you have a heavenly hope. It produces a pure walk. Our hope is in him. Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen from the dead. And we should live every day like he's coming back tomorrow. They mock Christians saying, you guys have been talking about that for 2,000 years. Well, that means we're 2,000 years closer. <laughs> Amen? The Bible says a day is to 1,000 years is 1,000 years is to a day, so it's only been a weekend since Jesus went to heaven. So we should be, have a purifying effect on our lives as we think about standing before the Lord. Can I encourage you? I believe that we should all begin our day this way. Begin your day in the Word, in prayer, and Imagine yourself standing before the creator of the universe. Now, we will not be, if you're born again, you will not be at the great white throne judgment because you've been forgiven, but you're going to be at the bema seat judgment where you will be judged on how faithful you were with the gifts God has given you. And what the enemy wants you to do is keep it to yourself and keep it quiet and be, be politically correct and be afraid of offending somebody else. Now, be loving, be kind, be gracious, but be bold and do not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? He hung on a cross for us, we can stand up for him. So, what it means to be a child of God, blessings, callings, difficulty, trials that we will go through after being adopted into his family. The first one, you will experience God's incredible love being poured out on you and the world standing in opposition to you. By the way, as long as I've mentioned it, I don't know how I would have endured the last 10 months if I didn't know the Lord. I have no idea. I may not have. But see, when you have Jesus, it changes your perspective on everything. Death has no sting. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Amen? And you know what? He is the comforter. He comforts us in our suffering that we may then comfort others with the comfort that we have received. And I'm so thankful for that. Now watch this. And, and by the way, this is a great verse to memorize. And they wrote a song, so you should be able to memorize it. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Back in the 60s and 70s, when we did Good News Bible Clubs, and when I went to Sunday school, this was a song that we sang often. Behold what manner of love, Maranatha music. And you know what? I think we can know about it. We can read it in Scripture. But I pray that when you leave here this morning, that it's more implanted on your heart, the, the depths of God's love for you, than you've ever understood it in your life. Because you know what? When you recognize the depths of God's love for you, it takes away the sting from everything else. Amen? 
These words, this fact, this truth must never grow common. Because he loves us, he's bestowed that love upon us that we should be called children of God. That almighty God, the creator of the universe, the alpha and the omega, the all-knowing, always present, all-powerful, one and only, true and living God poured out his limitless selfless agape love upon each and every one of us guys again that's better than winning the lottery amen his love has been poured out upon us we know his grace and his peace this is why we don't need to walk in fear god's not giving us a spirit of fear but empowering love and a sound mind if you don't know god you should be afraid amen but if you know the lord you have nothing to fear it's a love so great that you and i can't even begin to grasp its depth a love so gracious that he poured it out on us not because we're perfect but because not because we deserve it but in spite of the fact that we don't deserve it and haven't earned it i promise there's some people in this room right now that may not know the lord and you think but pastor you don't know all the things i've done you're right i don't and i don't need to but the lord does and i want to make it very clear he loves you anyway he loves you so much, again, he'd rather die than live without you. In spite of the fact that he knows the depths of our sin, our pride, our anger, our bitterness, our fleshly desires, our polluted thoughts, our lying tongues, he knows us best and he loves us most. I talk about this often. Is there anything that your children can do to get you to stop loving them? I know the answer for me is, is absolutely not, and I'm an imperfect dad. How much more does our perfect heavenly father love you? He knows all our sin, past, present, and future, and he loves us anyway. He knows that most would reject him. He knew when he went to the cross that a vast majority of people, the Bible tells us that broad is the road that leads to destruction. Most people will reject Jesus. Now, that being said, every believer this side of heaven should be burdened for every unbeliever this side of hell. Amen? We should be praying for divine appointments and opportunities to have, have those interactions with people where we can share with them the hope that lies within us. He knew that most would deny him, most would mock him, most would rebel against him. They would see no need for him and they would blaspheme and curse his name. You know, sadly, Jesus' name is used more as a curse word today than it is as a, a word that is used in worship or adoration. No one says, swear to Buddha. This doesn't happen. No one says, Hari Krishna, never heard it once. But people say Jesus Christ and why is that? Because he is the truth. And there's no other name under heaven which men must be saved. And, it's, and he is, again, he is the all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God. And here's what it is. Sinful man hates God. Sinful man wants to live its own way. You know, we have the spirit, the flesh, and the devil. And, the, and, and, and you know, the enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the Holy Spirit's drawing us unto truth. And the world's drawing us away from God. Satan seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. He hates you so much. He wants you dead. He will lie to you. He will entice you. And then when you fall for the lie and you feed your flesh, your flesh is never satisfied. Amen? It never is the answer. See, there's a God-shaped vacuum that only Jesus can fill. And if you've been trying to fill it with drugs and alcohol, go to the overcomers. If you've been trying to fill it with money uh, or a job or a career, you need to recognize too that that won't satisfy. If you're trying to fill it with relationships, if you're trying to fill it any other way, you're never gonna be filled. And if you were honest with yourself this morning, you would say you're right. I've been trying to do it. I've been trying to do it. I've tried everything under the sun and I'm still, there's still something missing. And what's missing is the Lord. He created you to have a relationship with him.
Out of love for us, he sent his son to earth to take the punishment that we deserve, to die the death that we deserve to die, to experience the open shame and separation and the consequences of our sin, not his. A love that sent his only begotten son to endure the punishment as if he lived our lives so we might be rewarded as if we live his. See, the false teachers were telling them there's a special knowledge. Jesus isn't enough. You, also, you need Jesus plus. You gotta be baptized in our, you gotta go to our class. You gotta, you know, we have special knowledge. I keep getting calls for this. I've had three in the last three days. Pastor Dave, do you believe there are people wandering around that are prophets? I believe that God speaks prophetically through people, but I don't believe anybody's a prophet. You know why? Because we have the prophet and his name is Jesus Christ. We have the completed word of God, amen? We don't need any new words. We don't need any additional words. Joseph Smith's a false prophet. So is all the other false prophets that have come along. They all, you know, and, and by the way, we can dig up all their bones proving that they're dead false prophets, not risen and living saviors, amen? And so we fall into this trap and we want to, you know, we're looking for something new. I need a new word. Well, maybe for some of you, this is a new word, but this word is not new. It's over almost 2,000 years ago, and the truth is the same today. False teachers, again, trying to draw people away. Nothing they could say or do, nothing anyone can say or do that can come close to the love of God and all that he has done for us. Notice the worst word there is behold. The word in Greek is to look at, to study intently, to fully understand. It reflects John's amazement. He's just like, behold. Guys, I'm so blown away by the truth I'm about to share with you. And I would say the same thing to everyone here. No doubt in a room this size, there's some people here that don't know the Lord. And I, and I would just want to say to you, be attentive. God brought you here for a reason. He loves you so much. He wants you to know him before you leave here today. In both a command and an exclamation to the readers to give close attention to the rest of the statement, behold, look, study intently, give close attention to what I'm about to say. And then he says this, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. What manner, the word there is how great. It implies a reaction of astonishment and admiration. And this is what can happen if we're not careful. We can get so used to the depths of God's love for us that it can grow common. My prayer is it never, ever, ever grows common. Amen? We should wake up every morning amazed by the depths of God's love for us. We should be blown away that we have the greatest gift ever given in all of human history, that we are born again, that the spirit of living God lives inside of us, that Jesus see at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. He's preparing a place for us. And there's a day he's coming when he's gonna come for us. So study and look at this glorious, measureless love that has been poured out upon you. Now the word for love there, we know in the, in the original language, there's four words for love in the Bible. And I'll give you one guess what word this is in Greek. What is it? Tagape. So if you're new here, there's, three, there's four words and three used predominantly through scripture. Eros, phileo, and agape. Eros is a selfish lust. It's a what can you do for me kind of feeling. And as soon as you stop doing for me, I will get rid of you. It's flesh-driven. It's a, it's a lust that will never be satisfied. It's the reason the divorce rate is through the roof because people get married looking for the other person to satisfy them instead of looking to minister to the other person. And so eros love, it's where we get the word erotic. 
pornography, things like that. So it's really where you use someone else for your own physical enjoyment. Phileo, Philadelphia, is a brotherly love. It's a love that you have for family and friends. And then agape, while eros is a selfish love, agape is a selfless love. It's when you love someone outside of yourself more than you love yourself. So eros takes, agape gives. For God so agape the world that he what? He gave his only begotten son. So agape is God gives to us. Eros is us wanting to take from others. And so this is the love, what manner of agape he has bestowed upon us. A love that will do, again, my best to describe, but it's hard to even give it the credit that it is due. As the text commands these early believers to do, we need to do the same in trying to grasp the depths of God's love for us. The changes that God desires to make in our lives will come. We begin to grasp how much he loves us. It says this in Ephesians chapter 3. For this cause I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, where there's agape, may be able to comprehend with all the saints the width the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height, and to know the love of Christ with passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all in the fullness of God. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think, according to the power that works in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all the ages, world without end, amen. I encourage you, that's Ephesians chapter three, verses 14 to 21, and he's telling them, to grasp a hold. His prayer is that they would grasp the height, the depth, the length, the width, everything about the, the Lord's love for us. As we begin to grasp the depths of his love, we are, and we are rooted and grounded in agape, and to know his love not just by head knowledge, but to know it by experience. Look, I can say this, and I'm sure most of you can. I don't think I'm going to heaven I don't think there might be a God. I don't think or hope. I know that I know that I know that I know that I'm going to heaven because Almighty God promised it. And Jesus said we were going and I don't know about Jesus. I know Jesus. He is my best friend. He never leaves me nor forsakes me. I walk with him in intimate fellowship all day, every day. He's not just someone I know about. I know him intimately, amen? And that's what it means to be a Christian. And I've shared this a couple times that I had to ask God to forgive me because I said, Lord, if I die right now, I think I might run and hug Mark before I hug you, only because I still have you and I don't have Mark. Amen? We have the Lord. How many of you have the Lord living inside of you right now? Praise God. And if you don't, don't leave here without him. Amen? Our lives and our actions will change as we, grasp, as we grasp the depths of his love, that we know him by, not by head knowledge, but we know him by experience. Living in light of his love gives us a grasp of what really matters in this life. The only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. All that stuff that we're so worried about, that carpet you have vacuumed 5,000 times is going to burn. Can I get an amen to that? 
that car you park way out in the very, very far part of the parking lot because you're afraid of getting a dent in it, it's all going to burn, amen? All the stuff that we think is so important, and again, we should be good stewards of the stuff that we have, but again, when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last, and the only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people, amen? And we should be investing more in people and less in stuff, Amen? Not condemned by the law and the accusations of the enemy, we can grasp his love while the impossible to examine the depths of his love for us completely let's try. So let's take a look at these three attributes of God's love. What manner of agape love does Almighty God have for each and every one of us? How do we even begin to communicate God's love to somebody else? It's, it's very difficult to be able to communicate it effectively and Lord help me to do so. First of all, it's an unconditional love. It's unconditional. God doesn't wait again for us to clean up our acts before he starts loving us. He loved you before the foundation of the world. It says in Romans 5.8, but God commended his love toward us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So did the Lord love you when you were headlong in your sin? What's the answer? Yes. Absolutely. He knew you best, loved you most. He's a faithful God. And the parable of the prodigal son is really a story of a loving father. And even after the son left the father and squandered his inheritance, the father kept loving him. I've had some give me a hard time saying that I was too, uh, what's the word? That my love for my boys was too unconditional. I should have been harder on them. I should have treated them harder. Will you do that with your kids? I'm gonna follow God's example and love them unconditionally. Amen? Amen? says in Luke 15, and he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet far off. So you remember what happened to the prodigal son? He said, dad, give me my inheritance. Just give it to me. And so he gives him half. He's got a brother. He gives him his inheritance. He goes off and he squanders it. He's out drinking and partying and no doubt probably with prostitute. Life's a mess. He loses it all. He finds himself in pig slop. And he's like, you know, even the servants in my dad's house eat better than this. So I'll go home and see if he might just let me be one of his servants. And so as he's coming home, his father sees him at a far distance. And the only way his father can see him is his father was looking for him. Amen? And he sees him coming. And what does his dad do? He doesn't send out guards and say, you blew it. I gave your inheritance. You blew it all. Leave. Get out of here. You didn't love me enough to stay. He didn't do that. It's the only time in the Bible we see a picture of God running because the Father's a picture of Almighty God and it says he pulled up, he girded his loins because they wore, you know, things would get in the way so he would gird his loins into his belt and he ran to greet his son and he did not say, I don't want you anymore. He killed the fatted calf. He put a ring on his finger. He dressed him up because my son has come home. Guys, you can take a million steps away from God. It's only one step back. And he is longing and looking and drawing you back into himself. That's our God. Don't ever lose sight of that. Amen? And the enemy will tell you that, oh, you've blown it. God can't forgive you. He won't love you. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Amen? In Hosea, the book of Hosea contains a story of how God asked one of his prophets to marry a gal who was a prostitute. And after they'd been married a while and he had a couple of kids, she went back to work. And that wasn't a good thing, amen? 
But when she went back to her old work being a prostitute, God told Hosea how to handle the situation. But instead of telling him to dump her, he told him to take her back. Why? Because Hosea's entire message was a picture of God's relationship with Israel and his unconditional love. And it's an unconditional love for every single one of us. Again, you can take a million steps away from God. It's only one step back. It's love for you is unconditional. Amen? Secondly, it's sacrificial. The world's idea of love is, what are you going to give me? Oh, I fell in love. I fell in love. <laughs> I got butterflies when he walks by. I got a crush, right? And this mentality, and that fades. It comes and goes. Uh, butterflies aren't always there. But love is not just a feeling. Love is a choice, Amen. And when we choose to love somebody, the feelings will often follow. But it's a choice that we make. And it's a sacrificial love. It's not a love of what can you give me, but God's idea of love is how much he wants to give you. John 3, 16, you should all know this verse, most quoted verse in the Bible, no doubt. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have under everlasting life. But then he says this in Romans 8, he, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall we not with him also freely give him all things? He gave his son for you. How can you not give everything to him? Amen? I was going to show a video, but I just think it would be too hard, but I'm going to explain it to you, and it's called Most. You can look it up online. It's five minutes long, and it's a man who has the duty of, drawing, of raising a drawbridge. And he would raise the drawbridge to let boats go through and then lower it back down so the train could go across, uh, you know, the tracks, across the bridge. And in the short video, you see this father loving on his son and they're looking at the stars at night and they're fishing together and they're doing all these things and you see the love of a father and his son and how incredible it is. Well, the dad's job again was to lower and, 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 and son go, went with them and he said, well, you just stay down here and go fishing for a while and I'll let you bring the lever down when it's time for the train to come. Well, for whatever reason, the train came earlier than they thought. And the boy was running up, and the dad was focused on what he was doing, and the boy tried to reach down and pull the lever so that the track would go down and the people on the train wouldn't die, and the son unfortunately fell into the mechanism, and he was stuck in the gears. And so now the father has a choice. Here's a train full of people that will all perish to their death because there's no bridge for them to cross or my son has to die in their place. And you see the torment on the father's face and he looks down at his son and says, I love you, and he flips the switch. And the boy is crushed to death. But as he looks at the train, all these people are going by and they're playing cards and drinking coffee and they have no idea the great sacrifice was made so that they wouldn't die. And what a picture of our savior that is. See, there's people living their lives with no understanding of the depths of the sacrifice that was made by our Heavenly Father to let our, His Son be crushed so that you and I might have eternal life. And there's just showing pictures of the people going by. There's a woman sitting there that's pregnant, and you're thinking, you know, He saved the life of that baby that will never even know that his life had been saved by someone else who died in its place. See, guys, we lose sight of the fact of what Christ has done for us. We can allow the cross of Calvary to grow common. And guys, it isn't just what Jesus did for us, it's also what the Father did in sacrificing his son, amen? Sometimes I think it's even harder on the Father than it is on the Son. So it's, a, it's an unconditional love. It's a sacrificial love. 
He sent his son to die so you could have eternal life, but it's also an unending love. If we base our love on what we get from TV, then love should last about 30 minutes. One minute you have it, next minute it's gone. You're standing in line in the grocery store, you know, and you look at the magazines of all these people that just got married, and you go back through a month later, and they're all getting divorced. Because it's not, it's not agape love, it's, selfless, it's selfish eros, and, and it doesn't last. Because it's not built on anything that's enduring. It says this in Romans 8 about the unending love of God. What's, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or a sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are all killed all day long. We are encountered as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Here it is. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So his love for us is unconditional. He doesn't love you because you're good. He loves you because he's good. His love for us is sacrificial. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then thirdly, his love for us is unending. Boy, it's gonna be amazing when we get to heaven, amen? can't wait God's agape love so how do we receive it do we earn it do we strive to attain it there's 750 rules we must keep to get it the word there is it says there now you know why there's only three verses this morning it says has bestowed on us the word bestowed there speaks of many things but it speaks of God's love toward us literally being lavished on us, being poured out upon us. It wasn't something we earned. See, salvation is a free gift. If it wasn't free, it'd be a paycheck, amen? So we don't earn it, it's poured out upon us. He pours out his love liberally upon us. It speaks of the manner of God's love. The word bestowed means lavish. The word also has the idea of one-sided giving. He just, we can't give back even close to what he's already given us, amen? And all people say things like, well, what does God want from me? Uh, if you gave him back one billion to what he gave you, you, uh, amen? And we're, we're, we have this mentality that, that how dare God want anything from us? Guys, he's given us everything. Instead of returning it for something we've earned. That's what the Gnostics were saying. Oh, you know, your flesh and your spirit are different. And then they started giving all these rules and they thought they could become sinless on their own. But God's agape love is unconditional. It's sacrificial. It's unending. It's poured out to us upon us liberally or lavishly and given freely. And it's not something we earn. So how could things be any better than that? If you didn't know that when you got here, that God loves you so much. And you might, feel, you might feel like, I don't feel very loved. That's because your feelings are based on the world around you, not a relationship with the God who created you. Amen? But notice what he says. How does it get even better? Look at the rest of that verse. That we should be called the children of God. When I was a youth pastor for many years up in Palmdale, Lancaster, early on, I had some people that were involved in gangbanging. A lot of them got saved. Chris was in my youth group, he's sitting right there. That means he's old and I'm old. Can I get him into that? But I remember this one guy who ended up getting saved and his buddies got saved. He's like, all oh, my homies got my back, man. That's why I'm in, I'm my homies got my back, my homies. And I'd be like, dude, creator of the universe got my back. How about that? My homie created your homies. Can I get an amen to that? 
our hope. We are children of God. He's my dad. Amen? And some of you may have grown up without the best dad. I was blessed to grow up with, a, with an amazing dad. But you know what? Whether you had a good dad or, or didn't have such a good dad, you have an amazing heavenly father. Amen? And he loves you so, so much. As God looked down on humanity, he may have, he may have mercy and pity and his compassion set forth a plan to deliver us from hell. But he went far beyond that. His plan of salvation, he not only saves us, but he adopts us. See, he doesn't just allow the train to go down so the people are safe. He adopts everyone on the train, amen? He, he makes them a part of his family. He will never leave them again. His eyes will always be upon them. He will love them unconditionally, and he will be there on the moment they take their last breath and usher them into his presence for all eternity. Guys, when we're born again, we become more than just redeemed people, though that would be enough. It goes far beyond that. We become his children. I love the word. If you read Ephesians chapter one, it talks about our riches in Christ, and it starts off with blessed, chosen, adopted, accepted, redeemed, forgiven, enlightened, assured. It goes down that list. And we've been adopted into God's family. You know what's amazing about adoption, especially in those days, I think it's still true today. If you adopt a baby, you can't disown them. But you can, you can disown one that, that you gave birth to. And you know what? We were adopted. He will never disown you. Amen? He will never take, no one can ever take you out of his hand. There's no eraser on the Lamb's book of life where he wrote your name down. Amen? He's our God, our Savior, our Lord, and our King, but he's also our Heavenly Father. Abba, Father is a name for him. That name means Daddy. Chris and I were in Russia, and this guy came out, this Russian Orthodox priest came out, and it was a city. We were handing out Bibles, and he was kind of upset with us at first that we were handing out Bibles, and then he kept pointing, you know, you should go into our building and look at all the paintings on the wall, and you go in there, it's dead in a doornail. And the, our interpreter was in her, I don't know, probably 70s, and the guy was giving her a hard time, and, and he, said, he said to us, you know, the problem with you American Christians, you think God is near, and God is so far away. You know, we're just a speck in the universe and he's so far away from us that you act like he's near us. And here's what she said. One of the names for God is Abba Father. Abba Father means daddy. She said, and daddy's never far away. Daddy's someone whose lap you can crawl up into and put your arms around his neck and hug him. And Chris and I, well, everybody that was there were like, wow. You know, that was, I don't know, 25 years ago. I still remember the illustration. I'm like, amen, amen, and amen to that, amen? So guys, he's not a faraway, distant God. He's Abba. He's Daddy. One of the things I love about going to Israel, you'll hear kids running through the square calling for their dad, Abba. And every time I hear it, I think, oh, that's so good, amen? Who calls us the children of God? The Father calls us. He said, I will be your fa a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters. Jesus says the same thing. He is not ashamed to call him brethren. So God the Father calls us his sons. Jesus calls us his brothers and sisters in Christ. And then the Spirit bears, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So God the Father calls us his children. God the Son calls us his brothers. And the Holy Spirit confirms that we are children of God. Amen? That's the Bible. A dad's love for his kids is unconditional, it's sacrificial, it's unending. He pours it out liberally, he gives it freely, and his earthly parents, parents, we experience a form of this love, though limited version of it, but again, speaking from my own experience with my children and my grandchildren, my love for them is unconditional. Nothing they can do to lose my love. 
It's sacrificial. All I have is theirs. It's unending. My love for them will never stop. And many of us here this morning, your kids may have been a disappointment to you, but here's what I have found. When your kids are struggling uh, the most, that's often the one you pray for the most. Amen. Amen? Lavishly pouring it out upon us, you and I, imperfect parents, how much more our perfect heavenly father pouring out his love on us. Now you're like, are we gonna get to verse three even here right now? <laughs> It says in Ephesians 2, and then we'll move on to verse 2. Once you were dead, this is a New Living Translation. I don't typically like it, but I liked it on this verse. Once you were dead, doomed forever because of your many sins. You used to live just like the rest of the world, full of sin, obeying Satan, the mighty prince of the power of the air. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passions and desires of our evil nature. We were born with an evil nature. We were under God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy that he loved us so much that even while we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's special favor that you and I have been saved. Amen, amen, and amen. We were once enemies of God, we are now friends of God, and we now have intimate fellowship. Then he says, therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Have you ever talked to people about the Lord and they look at you like you're an alien? They just, start, they just, dude, what are you talking about? And they look at us like we've lost our minds or they just don't understand. And here's the reality, because they're spiritually blind to the truth. And, and you can even read them a verse in the Bible and they just don't grasp it. I mentioned this on Thursday. You know, how many of you guys read the Bible before you were saved and you got saved and started reading it and all of a sudden it makes a whole lot more sense, amen? Because you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. So in light of the fact that we're children of God, the world doesn't know us. The word there to know is gnosko, to know by experience. The world knew of the Lord, they didn't know him. The world knows of us, they don't know us. They don't understand us. And they truthfully want nothing to do with us. Are you blown away how adamant people are that they want to see babies killed so desperately? They want to shut down Planned Parenthoods where they actually help children being born. It's just evil. If you're here and you're uh, pro-baby killing, we love you, we pray for you, but it's evil and you need to repent. Amen? Got churches, oh, we're accepting of that. Well, God hates murder. Can I get an amen to that? First John it describes the world's behavior. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. You've heard me say it, the boat gets in the water. We don't want any water in the boat, amen? We minister to the world, but we don't fellowship with the world. And people will say, well, Jesus hung out with sinners. He ministered to sinners. He did not participate with them, yeah. amen. amen? One more person tells me Jesus was a socialist. Socialists teach that there is no God. Amen? We have a true and living God that we serve. We're going to be treated different if we, if we give our life to the Lord, but guys, it's worth it. Amen? The Bible says the world will hate you. You'll know that you're hated, that they hated me because they will hate you. So guess what? I want to align with Jesus. And if me lining with Jesus has some people that don't really want to spend time with me, that's okay. He said, remember he said, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my name's sake, but so they did the prophets who went before you. So if the world hates you, you're in good company. John the Baptist, all the apostles, and Jesus Christ himself. Amen? Amen. 
Now again, don't be a jerk, don't be self-righteous, be kind, be loving, be gracious, but if they don't care for you, that's okay. Verse two, point number two, you're becoming more and more like him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know, we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him for we, we shall see him as he is. So we are a work in progress. Now our salvation is done. It's finished, justification. But there's still a work in progress. And here's my prayer for all of us. And here's my prayer for me. You've heard me say it. Holiness for me, grace for everyone else. I want to be held to the highest level of accountability before the creator of the universe. Lord, convict me if I'm one one millionth out of step with you and bring that conviction. But at the same time, I want to look at everyone else and show them the grace that God's shown me. Amen? Here's what many Christians do. Holiness for me, grace for me, holiness for everyone else. Lord, pour out your grace on me, cut me some slack. Yeah, I blew it, but look at that guy. What a mess he is. And there's a mentality within the church sometimes. Amen? But we need, to, we need to recognize the grace of God and the holiness of God. Notice here he calls them beloved. That means dear ones. John's heart of love for these he's ministering to. He just loves them so much. You know, for me, I, you know, it's hard for you to imagine. But Sunday mornings and Thursday nights are the favorite part of my week, and it's not even close. And as I'm coming here, often I'm parked in my car and I'm just praying for you guys and I'm praying that God would show up in a mighty and a powerful way that the kingdom of God would be added to that his name would be lifted up and I can't believe I get to serve you guys I'm so I have heaven and I get to do this I'm so blown away and you know what as believers you're called you're uniquely gifted and my prayer is that you would know that same joy of doing what God has called you to do in light of what he has done for you amen we are children of God, adopted. Romans 8, 16, the spirit himself bears witness that we are our spirit, that we are children of God. It says, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Isn't it good to know that God's still working on us? Yeah. Amen? Yeah. And here's our prayer. It should be that, Lord, I want to be closer to you tomorrow than I am today. I want to be closer to you next month than I was this month. I want to be closer to you next year than I am this year. And you know how that happens? You spend time in the word. You spend time in fellowship and you use the gifts God's given you to minister to other people. That's how you grow, amen? Make, make him the priority and the passion of your life. It's not been revealed what we will be. We have yet to see the finished product that we won't see until we get to heaven one day. We would talk about heaven. Uh, I talk with people about heaven. They're like, do you think we play sports in heaven? I'm like, I do, I, you know, it, it, if it's something we enjoy. But imagine what a game will be like when nobody's sinning. <laughs> and no one's getting prideful. You won't even have to have umps. Can I get an amen to that? But can you just imagine, can you imagine how different life will be when everybody is selfless? When we're in heaven, the presence of Almighty God, and everything will just be so different. But here's my prayer for us. We have a church basketball team and a church softball team, but you know, and you guys go to work every day. Wherever we go representing Christ, I pray we represent him well. And we are more concerned with honoring the Lord than winning the game. Oh, that was all kinds of quiet right then. <laughs> Our basketball team is undefeated at the moment, but... We'll find out where we're at if we lose a game. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> it says, we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. That just blows my mind. Does that not blow your mind? 
then we get to heaven, we're going to be more like Jesus. It just, it just baffles me. This is what we need to be reminded of, all of us. How many of you guys have people you love that have gone to heaven? Okay. It's got to be everybody, right? So think about them that way. See, I tell people, I'm fine when I think about where Mark is. I struggle when I think about where he's not, which is in our house with us. But when I focus on where he is, I'm okay. I don't have time to go into it, but it's just, you know, people said, well, we're going to be like Jesus. Well, when Jesus rose from the dead, there were some things that he could do. He could have done it anyway because he's God. Kind of get him into that. But there's things that he did in his glorified body that he didn't do beforehand. He could fly. We knew that. He ascended into heaven. Some people are like, can we fly in heaven? I don't know. Maybe. But by the way, I don't think flying in heaven is going to be the thing we'd be all excited about if we could. Can I get him into that? <laughs> he walks through walls. Remember that? They're all in the upper room, and he, there he is. Walking through walls would be pretty cool if you're the only one who could do it, but if everybody in heaven can do it, okay. <laughs> he could disappear, just for be removed from their eyes. Heaven's gonna rock, you guys, amen? Now, this is minor stuff. What I'm trying to say is, heaven is gonna be so much better than we could ever possibly imagine, amen? Nobody in heaven's gonna go, oh, that's it? Thought it would have been bigger, right, amen? <laughs> When we get to heaven, we're going to be blown away by the greatness of our God. I want to tell you something. I believe that God is so incredibly great, but I have a finite mind, so I'm limited in the amount of greatness I can apply to God. So I know when I get to heaven, I'm going to be blown away by how, how incredibly great he is. And I try to keep that in mind in my prayer life now, because if you know he's that great, you'd pray more. Amen? When we get to heaven, nobody wants to come back. Heaven's better. Heaven's going to rock. More than being like him in body, we'll be like him in nature. Again, we're never going to be God. Let me make that clear. Mormons are wrong. You're not going to be God of your own planet. That's not happening. Amen? But we will be more like him. And we can at least use the example of Adam and Eve, but we'll be better than that because they had the ability to sin and we won't. It just blows my mind. By the way, if you're here this morning and this is all new to you, I pray you don't leave here without this truth and, and, and be, be born again before you go, amen? Who will transform our lowly body that may be conformed to the glorious body according to the working by which he is able to even subdue all things unto himself? As Christians, we should begin to look more and more like him, and when we get to heaven, we shall be like him. Like him how? In our bodies, uh, we'll have a glorious body, and again, what does that mean exactly? I'll be honest with you, I don't fully, I don't fully understand and I won't until we get to heaven. And it says, we shall see him as he is. It says in 1 Corinthians, for now we see through a glass dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know even as I am known. Right now, when, when our glimpse of God, it's like in a you know, piece of brass that we're using as a mirror and it kind of gives us a dim image but we don't see him the way we will see him in heaven. There'll be, no, there'll be nothing dialing it down. There'll be no shadows in the way. We're gonna see God for who he is, and that's why worship in heaven's never gonna stop. Because once we see him for who he is, we'll never wanna stop, amen? Again, it's not being personally glorified that's gonna blow our minds in heaven, but seeing our Savior for who he is. Final point, your heavenly hope produces a pure walk. As believers, the more we love God, the more we should hate sin. Amen? 
The more we love God, the more we should hate sin. While our hope is in him, we live in anticipation of his return. Our hope is not in our own good works. Our hope is not in our religious affiliation or our church attendance. Our hope is in him. See, you don't go to heaven because you go to Calvary Chapel or you go to the Catholic Church or the Presbyterian Church or you do good works or you give to charity and all those things. Some of those can be fine, but those things don't save you. It's all about what have you done with God's son? It's not enough to know about him. You need to know him. Is Jesus Christ your best friend? You've heard me use this analogy many times. One more won't hurt. I know a lot about, you can pick any athlete. I know a lot about Michael Jordan. I know that he played for North Carolina. I know that he won, a, they won an NCAA title. I know that he won six championships. I know that he tried to play baseball and failed at it miserably. I know a lot about him. But if I get in an elevator with Michael Jordan, I'm gonna say, Michael, and he's gonna look at me and say, who are you? And there's people that know about God. Well, I know that we celebrate his birth at Christmas and his resurrection at Easter. I know he's got a best-selling book, amen? I know that we date the calendar to when he was born, A.D., Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. I love people who say, Jesus never existed. Go ahead and write me a check real quick, and then we'll talk about that. 2022 years since who, amen? Not, <laughs> the point I'm making, though, is that if you were to get in, uh, if you're to stand before the Lord on Judgment Day, you might look and say, "Jesus, I recognize you. I know all about you." But what what really matters is, does He know you? Have you been adopted into His family? Have you been born again? Are you a new creation in Christ? Do you have the promise of eternal life? Our hope is in Him and the anticipation of His soon return. Spending eternity in His presence should not produce a life that sees our sin as no big deal. See, the closer we get to God, the more we should hate our sin. I love this analogy. I'll close with this. I love this analogy. A group of teenagers were enjoying a party and someone suggested they go to a restaurant for a good time. And Jan says to her date, uh, I think you need to take me home. My parents don't approve of this place. And then her date says, are you afraid that your father will hurt you? And then she says, no, I'm afraid that I'll hurt my father. That's an analogy for all of us. I don't want to do this because I'm afraid my father will hurt me. I don't want to do this because I'm afraid it will hurt my heavenly father. Amen? I want to live in such a way that brings glory and honor to his name. Every time I sin, I'm harming, I'm bringing, you know, I'm hurting my father. He loves us to live lives that are set apart and sold out to him. He, help, he wants to help us live that purified, sold out life. Purifies himself just as he is pure. Jesus is the standard of purity. The standard of purity is I'm not as bad as my neighbors. God doesn't grade on a curve. He grades at the cross. Amen? You don't compare yourself to other people. You can always find someone worse than you. I'm no Osama bin Laden. Glad you're keeping the bar high, bro, for yourself. <laughs> you know? I'm not as bad as that guy. Guys, we don't compare ourselves to people. We compare ourselves to Christ and all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Amen. Amen? He who says he abides in him ought to himself also ought to walk the way that he walks. You become more like God. Psalm 115. Their idols are silver and gold. Their work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they 
uh, do not handle feet that they have, but they do not walk, nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them, so is everyone who trusts in them. If you're putting your faith in something that was created instead of the creator, you're putting your faith in something that will fail you. Amen? So, what it means to be a child of God. The blessings, callings, difficulties, trials that come to those adopted into God's family. You will experience God's incredible love being poured out on you and the world standing against you. We see three attributes of his love. It's unconditional, it's sacrificial, it's unending. You're becoming more and more like him as his adopted children filled with the Holy Spirit. We become more and more like our Heavenly Father. Whenever I teach in front of people where, that saw my dad teach, they're like, your mannerisms and your dad ma mannerisms are scary the same. You know why? Because you become like your parents in a lot of ways, amen? You become like that example that you follow. He's the example we follow. And then your heavenly hope produces a pure walk. Again, we don't sin less because, again, we're afraid that, it, again, it will hurt us. It will bring harm to us. It keeps us from what is best. But our, our view of sin ought to be that we recognize that it breaks the heart of our Father. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. You are indeed a great and an awesome God. Lord, as we go into this moment of worship, how can we share this and not give people an opportunity to respond? The Bible tells us, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. Everything that was taught today might just seem foreign to you. Maybe you don't go to church very often. Maybe you're invited by somebody. And here's what I want you to know. God has you here this morning by divine appointment. And the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Salvation is offered universally. He desires that none should perish, no, not one. But it must be accepted individually. See, he offers you the hope of eternal life. Maybe you've been here and, and the Holy Spirit's convicting you. This is what I need to do. I need to surrender my life to the Lord. I've been trying to live my own way and it's been empty. But this is the answer. This is the hope that I've been looking for. If that's your desire, the Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. So I'm gonna give you a simple way. I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm not, we don't want your money. We don't want your stuff. We just wanna give you an opportunity to give your life to the one who loved you so much he'd rather die than live without you. If that's your desire right now, I just want you to raise your hand and say, I am ready to surrender my life to the Lord and I want to confess that openly before the world. Anybody at all, don't leave here without him. The Lord loves you so much he'd rather die than live without you. We serve a great and awesome God, amen? Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. Be glorified, we pray, in our lives. Help us, Lord, to love you more, to represent you more, to be a greater reflection of you, of your love and your grace and your mercy. I do pray for anybody here that doesn't know you. Maybe they didn't respond today, but I pray your heart, you would continue to stir up their hearts to the truth that you're a God who loves them so much you'd rather die than live without them. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name. We pray and all God's people said.